Welcome to the Student Affairs Spectacular, the weekly podcast giving you a front row seat to the greatest student affairs show on earth. And now your ringmasters, Tom Kriegelstein and Dustin Ramsdell. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Student Affairs Spectacular podcast. Dustin here and this is episode number 56 with Melissa Bowles, who is an academic advisor at Clark College over in Vancouver, Washington. Talked to Melissa a little while ago about uh, her work as an academic advisor at Clark College, which is a uh, pretty large community college out there on the West Coast. Um, Just how she does her work in that unique environment and um, just wanted to do more stuff about uh, academic advising. We had uh, an episode recently that we um, talked about in general and um, just really diving into it deeper and just sort of how that area is very tightly knit into the sort of student affairs work that a lot of us do every day. Uh, Maybe some of you listening are academic academic advisors and you'll get something out of this uh, directly for yourselves. But um, it really was just interesting for me to explore this area. It sort of was a a bit of a blind spot for me, um, but it's really something important to know about. And um, I've really tried to work to make more connections myself with uh, these uh, colleagues who work in academic advising areas. So, um, and as we've been doing every week, that sort of correlates with uh, this week's episode. Um, giving a shout out to somebody who's left us a review on the iTunes store. Um, this week is the first review that we got. Uh, somebody wrote out for us, which we appreciate. Um, from lovely lady. That's <laughs> lovely with it, you. Um, uh, so she, or maybe he, who knows, uh, this person uh, wrote, Hello guys, I love the podcast and received so much information as a new entrant into higher education. As an academic advisor, I would love to hear you speak with someone in advising. I work with adult students at a small private Christian institution in the South, but eventually would like to be on a traditional private campus. I don't care what area, but please interview an advisor. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Um, Thank you so much for that review. And um, as you can see, we took that feedback. We read these reviews. We try to um, do our best for our listeners, give them what they need and want. Um, So definitely, as I always say, uh, feel free to reach out to us with any recommendations for topics or guests for the episodes. Um, We appreciate it. We definitely appreciate uh, getting reviews because now we are giving folks a free ebook in our new ebook store if they leave us a review. So uh, lovely lady, if you are listening, uh, feel free to reach out to us to grab that code. And um, anybody listening also just leave us a review, leave us some thoughts, leave us some feedback or just what you love about the show. And uh, we'll get in touch in an upcoming episode and get you that free ebook code for um, some cool books from our community. So um, even if you don't want to leave us a review, check out the bookstore anyway, there's some cool stuff there. So Before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the National Center for Student Life, which hosts the National Conference on Student Leadership coming up this fall from November 19th to the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Since 1978, NCSL has trained thousands of students and advisors in heart-centered, values-based leadership skills designed to help drive transformative change within the individual and on campus. I've spoken personally at NCSL for the past five years and I've seen firsthand how the NCSL conference helps students and advisors apply learning to address the real challenges that are they're facing on their campus and in their community through this thing they call the NCSL Call to Action Program. NCSL really, it brings together the country's best leadership presenters into one place to give both the students and the advisors this, this, it's, this, this life-changing experience. And I've always been blown away at the level of value received from their conferences. 
And in addition to hearing from these amazing top-notch presenters, students also learn from each other in this student forum on civic engagement. And I should note, NCSL is the first student leadership conference to offer students the opportunity to earn a digital badge to document their leadership development. So if you're looking for a student leadership conference to attend, I highly recommend checking out NCSL at nationalcenterforstudentlife.com. That's nationalcenterforstudentlife.com. With that, let's get going and get this show on the road. Because it's just like an interesting little setup that I sort of figured out like a backdoor way to record the audio of Skype calls and just have everything kind of works. I use a a uh, USB microphone. I have my oh, headphones nice. and all this. Like, yeah. I just have to do a little configuring. It's something I guess got messed up, so I had to sort of like start over and set it all up oh. and all that. So, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, jumping on to do this podcast. I, I think because we had a uh, somebody review us on iTunes and they had like specific feedback of just like, oh, you should do one like academic advising and like in a community college setting. And it's like well, we haven't done any academic advising yeah. at all. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I did one with um, uh, Anne Sweet, just as like a general uh-huh. uh, academic advising one. But um, okay. yeah, I definitely appreciate you jumping on to do this one. It's, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited. Um, so yeah, so what's like sort of uh, big on your plate right now? What's going on for you over there at uh, Clark College? Um, well, it's finals week for our students. So they're focusing a lot on that. And then they're also prepping for our spring quarter. So we're on the quarter system, which means 10 weeks instead of 15. Um, and so it's three terms. I don't know how familiar you are with the quarter system. Yeah, I've never, I've never been in a place that's like that. Yeah, so it's we start in September and we finish in June instead of the August to May schedule. Um, so they'll finish up, our students will finish up their finals this week and then they have, I think, two weeks off and then they come back for spring quarter. Um, so we're meeting with a lot of students right now who are hoping to start in the spring, which means they're getting um, slim pickings on the classes, but mm-hmm. um, it's there are still classes available. We have a lot of students who register up until the first day um, of classes because we have so many students who um, decided the last minute to come, and we want to make sure that we have classes for them. So we open a lot of um extra classes and then things start to get canceled and then we have students who are freaking out because their class got canceled so that's kind of what we're dealing with right now is kind of helping those students feel like okay so maybe we find you a different class for spring and let's talk about what that looks like and how that will impact your degree so that's our big kind of push right now Hmm. interesting yeah yeah i guess i have have no frame of reference of like how many schools are on like terms and quarters or whatever, like, you know, I've always been yeah. in a place that just has spring and fall semester and then, you know, we'll have stuff going on the summer and the winter and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, maybe I'll end up somewhere that has that and I'll get to learn yeah. more about that system. But do you, do you feel yeah. like it works well or like, I, I don't know if you have anything to compare it to or. It does. I mean, I, so I actually went to this community college for my associate's degree and oh. then transferred to, um, a four-year institution that's on semesters. So I've done both quarters and semesters. And it really depends on the student, um, whether or not they like one versus the other. So the 15-week term allows you to kind of get more in-depth with some of your classes. But the 10-week term does move a lot faster. And my first semester at a four-year institution, I hit week eight and was like, all right, finals. And then realized I still have seven weeks of the term left. (laughs) 
And so that was a pretty, it was a shock for me at first, but then, um, I liked the semester system, but I also like the quarter system. It's really, I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of varies. Um, there's no, I don't necessarily know that there's one that's better than the other. Um, right. a lot of Washington state schools are on the semester system. There's only a handful that are on the quarter system. Whereas like all the Oregon schools are all on the quarter system. Hmm. They all operate on the same system, which makes transferring a lot easier in Oregon State um, because the credits are different when you transfer from a quarter to a semester school um, or vice versa if you're transferring back to a quarter school. Gotcha. Um, and so sometimes your credits end up weird if you're transferring and your schools aren't on the same system. That's the really kind of biggest thing that students run into is like, what do you mean I took a five credit class and I only get three credits for that? What are you talking about? Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, that's yeah. the biggest thing. But overall, it's, I mean, it's relatively similar. It's just a matter of, um, you know, what you like better, I guess, personally. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, and this is all relevant to what we're, you know, kind of planning on talking about today. And real yeah. quick, I have to call you out because I, I, I hear it in the background and I'm like, I don't know, are you outside right now? Are you like, just... I am outside. Oh. Yeah. All right, I'm jealous. That's that's why I'm asking. I'm just like, is she is she outside? Like, what's going on? I am outside. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is, I guess is it just nice enough weather out there? And uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. We have had a really early spring here in Washington. So ah, nice. Well, yes. Please, yeah. please do enjoy it. That's that's great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll just dive right in and, and uh, start as we always do. Um, okay. Kind of got a little bit into your story there, but. Um, just give everyone your, uh, your introduction of who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I started my very first at college was a four year institution. I went for two quarters and I failed two math classes back to back. Um, and because I wasn't using advising and I wasn't using our services and was like, I can handle it. It's fine. And then the school was like, so we're going to take your financial aid away hmm. and you're going to be done for a while. Um, so I transferred to the community college in my hometown, um, and ended up really falling in love with it. It's a beautiful campus and it, um, the instructors are fantastic. And I got super involved in, uh, student government at the community college, which really kind of showed me that the more I'm involved on campus, the better I do in my classes. So when I finished my associate's degree and I transferred to WSU Vancouver, um, which is a branch campus of Washington State University, I continued to stay involved. And so I was involved in student government there for two years. And then my last, the last semester of what essentially was my first senior year, because I took five years to get my degree, mm-hmm. um, my, our student government advisor said, I think you'd really be interested in student affairs because I was struggling a lot to figure out what it was I wanted to do. I changed my major a bunch of times. I could not figure out what was going on. And she said, I really think this would be good for you. So she designed an internship for me working with orientation and admissions at WSU Vancouver. And I totally fell in love with it. Um, read all the books that I could that semester about student affairs and just felt like that was where I was supposed to be. So I spent the next year interning in student activities and then graduated in 2011, worked for a year um, at a private school in Portland um, doing housing, which um, was a brand new experience for me. Mm -hmm. So that and that really kind of showed me the importance of getting to know students and, and what you can do for them. Um, on the college campus. And then I applied to 
Western Carolina University, um, which is in this really tiny baby town in Western North Carolina, um, and got my master's of education there. And there I worked in orientation and tutoring services. Um, and then when I finished that last May, I decided to move back to my hometown and got a job as an academic advisor at the community college where I got my associate's degree. So that's where I'm at now. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, kind of full circle there. Because uh, yeah. I, I, I have sort of a similar journey just because I graduated from my master's program uh, last uh-huh. May. And then um, I was originally born here in Maine where I am now, but I've never lived oh, here. Yeah. And now I'm you know, just living here for the first time. And as an adult and stuff, it's just interesting. So I'd visit up here and visit my yeah. family at least once a year, but kind of interesting sort of full circle journey that I've had uh, totally. back here. But um, so you're at Clark College now as an academic mm-hmm. advisor. Um, give everybody a little insight into what your role is sort of day to day, some of the things that you do um, just kind of with the daily workflow. And then I guess maybe some of the, the other kind of bigger picture things that you do just to sort of give people some um, some clarity on what your, your exact job kind of entails. Sure. Um, so our academic advising system at Clark is, um, it's, a, it's essentially general advising for everyone with the exception of a handful of programs that have faculty advisors. Um, so I see a lot of students, um, we have about, um, 16,000 students total on campus. That's including part-time students. So we have, um, I want to say we have like 12 advisors that, all see um, a variety of students. Um, we see an average of about eight students a day. That depends on um, how many students are coming in, all that kind of stuff. Three days a week are drop-in days, so students can come in and they can wait and see an advisor. Sometimes they wait 10 minutes. Sometimes if it's busy, they wait an hour. It just kind of depends on mm-hmm. um, what program they want and um, what time they walk into advising services. Um, the closer we get to registration, the longer the lines are because all of our students like to wait till the last second. Right. <laughs> um, and then we have two appointment days. Um, those days are um, pretty much booked. We see about 11 to 12 students a day and uh, we have 30 minute appointments. Um, and some of those appointment days are booked weeks in advance. So um, students might be coming in um, and they've had a problem in their classes three weeks ago, but they couldn't see an advisor until then. Um, And so they're still trying, they're trying to figure out now how to navigate, you know, now they've maybe missed the drop deadline or they're trying to figure out what kind of their next step is. So um, during the day, I usually see like three to four students in a row and then take 30 minutes to catch up on notes or work on projects. Um, And students come in for a variety of different things. Sometimes they just want to talk about what class to take next. Sometimes they want to talk about the process for transferring to a four-year institution. We have some students who come in because they're having trouble in their classes and they don't know whether to drop it or they need help finding tutoring services. Uh, And then we have a lot of undecided students who come in and are just, I don't know what to do. Please help me. Um, So we, the, the type of student I see and what their issue is tends to vary. Um, And then as far as bigger picture things, um, I run the social media for our department. So it's new on our campus. Um, We're still kind of diving into what social media means for student affairs. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm working with our team to kind of start running that. Um, I'm also the online like 
resource person for transfer institutions. So I work with a lot of the transfer schools in the area to make sure that we have materials from them that we can put online and we know exactly what our students need to get done in order to transfer successfully to their school. So those are kind of my bigger projects. Um, and then other things that sometimes come up are orientations, um, both with our um, GED um, students, who I'll talk about in a little bit, and then um, our like just kind of general everyday getting an AA student. So right. um, those are kind of the things that I do uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I guess it's all the different, uh, you know, jobs and duties and stuff that totally. uh, student affairs people are familiar with, I'm sure. Yep. Um, yeah. So just, uh, you know, you sort of went over the, um, the tasks and things that you do um, yeah. and what students uh, come to you for. What uh, sort of student body do you have there at Clark College? Like, what is it sort of compromised of, I guess, just the different backgrounds for your students? Um, we have a pretty wide variety of students. So our three major kind of areas where students can get degrees are professional technical, which is automotive, uh, diesel mechanics, uh, computer services, paralegal. We have a baking program. We're restarting our culinary program in the next, I think, year or so. Um, so we have all those students that are getting um, AASs, which is an associate in applied science, or an AAT, which is an associate in applied technology. And those are more like a lot of those degrees are kind of terminal for that, as weird as that word is, um, for those fields. Right. Um, students come here and they might get a degree in welding and then they go get a job in welding and they are in welding for the rest of their lives. Um, so we have a lot of those students. We work with the community um, to, to make sure that our programs are fulfilling the needs that, that Clark County has. And then our second kind of area is health occupations and education. So we have an extremely competitive nursing program. We also have a radiography program and a phlebotomy program. And we, in the fall, dental hygiene program for a few years, but in the fall, we'll be the first class to earn a bachelor's degree in dental hygiene. Mm. Um, so we are, it's our only bachelor's degree at the community college, which is kind of cool. Um, so a lot of those students are, they're very hard workers and they, um, they know from the get-go, I want to be in dental hygiene or I want to be in nursing. Um, and then our kind of other, our third area is, um, our general AA, which is our direct transfer agreement with other colleges and universities, uh, in Washington, it allows students to transfer in as a junior most of the time, give or take whether or not the college accepts it. Um, and then we also have associates in science, uh, that allow students to get degrees in biology, chemistry, engineering, those kind of more, what are considered more hard sciences. Um, and then we have a lot of students who are completing their GEDs um, or taking ESL classes. Um, so that's kind of the general like types of programs that we deal with. But um, our average age here at Clark is 28. So we have a lot of older students or returning students. We have a lot of students who come in and they maybe took a year and a half of classes right out of college and then had kids or got a job or um, something else happened and now they're coming back and they're maybe in their thirties and they really just want to finish their associate's degree. So a lot of those students, 75% of our students are first generation. Um, and that is students who come right out of high school and also students who are in their forties and fifties and really just want to earn an associate's degree. I've met a ton of students whose kids are also at Clark. And so they're taking classes with their son or daughter. Oh, wow. Um, 
And so they're technically a first generation, but their kids are also in classes with them, um, which is actually really kind of cool. Um, and then a lot of our, uh, over 50% of our students are low income. So we have a ton of financial aid that goes out and we also have a lot of other funding options, um, especially if you're experiencing specific hardships and you're getting state funding or federal funding for like food stamps or any of that kind of stuff. You can also get different kinds of funding for your degree, but you usually have to be getting a degree in like one of our technical programs. Um, and then we have a lot of students with kids. So we have an on-campus um, daycare center that's run by students in our early childhood education program. And it's a discounted cost for our students, which is really nice. And then um, we have a lot of students who are trying to work full time and take classes. So um, it's not, it's actually pretty rare to see a student who comes right out of high school anymore. Um, we see a lot of older students even, I mean, the 21 and 22-year-olds, but also like 40 and 45-year-olds or people who are returning. We have a big um, population of veterans who mm -hmm. come back and want to get their associate's degree and then transfer to a four-year institution. So a lot of our students are working really hard. I mean, they're working full-time jobs and taking full-time classes and raising a kid or two kids. So it's a pretty wide variety of students. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you, you already sort of noted, um, what, you know, sort of unique needs that the student population has, mm -hmm. what, what are maybe some more of the unique needs that you sort of see when you work with these students and how do you work to address those? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the students, because they're first generation students, they have no idea how to register for classes, what that even means, what it means to take a class, what it means to do well in that class. So a lot of times when I'm talking to students, it's, teaching them about how to plan their time. So we always tell students, you know, you plan five hours a week per class for five credit class, plus another 10 hours outside of class for homework and studying. And a lot of students, when you break that down for them, their eyes get really big and they're like, I don't, I don't want that kind of time. And you say, okay, well, let's have a conversation about, you know, do you want to be full time? You know, most students want to be full time because they're getting financial aid. And so they have to take at least 12 credits. But if they're taking 12 credits, that's a full-time job just being a student. Mm -hmm. And if they're also working a full-time job and they're raising kids, that can be hard for them. So a lot of the conversations we have are about time management and trying to figure out, you know, what is the best kind of course of action for you to complete this degree? Um, and then, you know, we have the students who, um, like our veteran students who don't really know how to engage on a college campus, that's totally new to them, um, especially um, if they've just come out of the military and they're, so they're used to a much more structured system. Um, we have a lot of veteran students who come in and they want you to tell them exactly which class to take every term for the next two years. And our, our class schedules aren't available that early, so we can tell them what kind of class to take, but that can sometimes be hard for them because they, then they have to make that decision later and they, they don't, they're nervous about doing that. Um, so we have a lot of students that we have to kind of coach through, like, you are capable of doing this. You know how to do this. Um, because a lot of them are nervous, whether they're veterans or first-generation students. They just, they don't want to make a mistake. And so we see a lot of that. Um, we also see a lot of students who are, because they're low income or they're, um, they're dealing with other financial hardships, they're working their way through school. 
And so trying to navigate how to work and be an excellent student can be hard for them. So we talk a lot about resources, about tutoring. We talk a lot about counseling services. We talk about career services, all that kind of stuff. Advising is kind of a catch-all. You know, you come in and we can, we can connect you with all the other resources on campus that are going to help you figure out how you, how you answer these questions for yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's kind of neat, I guess. Yeah. Cause you are, um, seeing these students, I guess you really are seeing pretty much every student or most of the yeah. students and you're seeing them, you know, at least once a semester, just so, I mean, if they're, if they're doing, I think what they should be doing, they're checking in with you mm-hmm. to like, you know, get the best tips and tricks and stuff and make sure everything's yeah. sorted out. But, um, yeah, so that's great. And, yeah, and it's definitely it's interesting just kind of how the unique student body and like what they need, but still like mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Like it's 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 so great, I guess, how you can really just um, maximize their potential and like they're like they obviously just really want to better themselves totally. and get this education. You just sort of kind of yeah. adapt and be flexible, and you can sort of help them, you know, go part time, you know, maximize the yeah. right classes to take when they should take them to meet other requirements and stuff. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, there are a lot of like finish in four or finish in two initiatives that are out that are really excellent for students who are capable of doing that. You know, students who a lot of the students that are really successful in those programs are like 18 to 24 year olds um, because they're coming right out of high school. And so they have already been going to school full time and they have a good understanding of what that means. Um, but those finish in two initiatives are so hard for some of our students because they're so scared and they don't want to take full-time classes. And so a lot of it is working with them to kind of build them up to full-time because we know they can do it and they know they can do it. They're just scared to do it. Mm. So a lot of it is like, I, you're, you can do this, you can be successful, but let's have a conversation about what this could look like. And then we also have you know, that our classes are only offered certain quarters. And so a finish in two initiative may not work for some of our programs because they only have a certain number of faculty members. And so it's really a three-year program because Mm -hmm. the classes aren't offered when they need to be. And that's, I think, one of the things we run into with community colleges is that our funding is so kind of wonky that we end up with programs that really could be finished in two years, but take two and a half or three because we don't have the funding to get the instructors, that kind of stuff. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're kind of giving these students what they need rather than what you think they need and you're adapting to who they are. Um, and I guess that's kind of a, you know, that's a good advice enough. And if you want to expand on that, you know, uh, by all means, but, um, what are some other tips for professionals, maybe just, um, at any campus anywhere about sort of serving students that you sort of learn through your unique experience there at Clark? Yeah. Um, my biggest thing is know your campus and know it well. I mean, know where the Veterans Resource Center is, know where the Office of Diversity and Equity is, or, you know, whatever your, you know, departments are called. Mm -hmm. Um, know where the tutoring centers are, um, know where their departments are located. So if you need to send a student to the welding department or you need to send a student to the English department, know where those offices are. Because so often you're going to run into students and you say, just go talk to somebody in the English department and they get, they look at you like you just ask them to stand on their head because they don't know what that means and they don't know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often I walk students to places, I show them on the map where they can find it. And I think the best thing for anybody, but for advisors who are kind of 
you know, the catch all is like, no, the resources that they're going to need to use. We, my department works with our GED and ESL students and we have a full, what we call transitional studies department. It has a tutoring center for them. They have peer mentors, um, they have translators if they're, um, still not, still not great at English. Um, and so knowing where that's located and knowing who to connect them to is really helpful when those students come in and they start speaking to you and maybe they're speaking Russian and you, you don't, you can't understand them and they can't understand your English. And so you have to figure out how do I explain to them what they need without rushing off to find a translator. And so knowing where the resources are and knowing how to draw it out on a map can sometimes help, especially with ESL students. Mm. I think... The other thing is to just kind of learn about those populations that you don't know anything about. I've attended trainings on veterans and um, our Muslim population because I want to be able to help those students be successful regardless of kind of what they're going through. I want to understand what they're going through and be able to help them find the right resources and take the right classes. You know, I want to know if maybe maybe this class isn't, isn't the right class for you because it's, it's a lot of reading or it's a lot of memorization and that's something you're still struggling with. So maybe mm. we don't take that class right away. So I think you need to know the populations and you need to get to know the departments on campus as much as you can so you can really have a good understanding of the classes. Um, we have a lot of students who struggle with science here. I mean, we have the students who are interested in biology or chemistry, but then we have our general AA students and they're notorious for waiting until the end of their time here to take all their science, which I did when I was here, so I don't blame <laughs> them. But, you know, we also have to know, like, what are the best science classes for you, especially if you're a non-science major? We have music programs and art programs here. Those students don't want to touch science. They would do anything to not take science. I've had students try and, like, talk me into substituting in our class for science and I have to explain that that's not how it works you still have to take the science class but then we need to know what science classes are going to be best for them so we have we have sheets of you know science classes for non-science majors or good art classes for science students you know things that are going to help those students kind of be successful even if that's not their particular area of study and then we are, I don't know what other advising departments look like, but at Clark, we use advisor track. Um, and that allows us to make notes about the students in their, our meetings with them. And I always read the notes from the previous advisor because that's going to tell me what they've talked about with the student before. If the student indicated, like, I'm super interested in music or I think I might be interested in business. I always start with, are you still interested in, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. um, which indicates to them that I'm interested and invested in them. And then they're usually more willing to kind of open up and really tell me because it's so hard to be a general advisor and those students come in and they might see you one time. You might not be available the next time. And so they see somebody else and then they feel like they're just getting passed from advisor to advisor. So the best way to not let them feel that or to help them not feel that way is to try and get to know them based on the notes the previous advisors have given and their record, their student record. So if you notice they take a lot of music classes, mention their interest in music and they're going to go, oh, you noticed that. And you're like, yeah, I noticed that you might be interested in music because you've taken 15 music classes. <laughs> so I figured maybe. <laughs> um, 
And I always like, I write super detailed notes because I want to make sure that whoever sees that student after me, if it's not me can do that same thing. And I think that's such, you know, especially at a community college this big, I mean, 16,000 students doesn't seem big to people who are at big universities, but for a community college, it's pretty big. Yeah. We're the second largest community college in Washington state. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty big. I feel like yeah. just so my frame of <laughs> reference, I feel like it's large. Yeah. So, you know, those students already feel like they're a really small piece of this college. And the more you can get to know them and the more you can indicate, like, I'm invested in you, even if I've never met you before, the better off they're going to be and the more likely they're going to be to come back to advising. So we see a lot of students who come once and then we have a, an advising required hold. So every 30 credits, we require students to come into advising if they haven't already. Mm. But you can waive that if you don't want to see an advisor. You can say, I don't want to see an advisor, and they'll take the hold off. But we don't want students to do that. We want them to come in and talk to us. And so the more you make them feel like the advisors care, the more they'll be willing to sit and wait in the hour-long line and talk to you, yeah. I think, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it's all good stuff. It's good advice. And real quick, if you want to just list off any um, – resources like you know websites or books or anything that was just uh, particularly helpful for you yeah um so the association of community colleges on twitter it's at com underscore college um is great um also nakata as you know for advising in general it's great but they also have information for two-year advisors which is really awesome and then there's a gal um, her name is i think it's isa adney um, she went to a community college and then got, went on to get her bachelor's and master's um, has written a book about being successful at community college, writes a blog, works with students who attend community colleges. And she's a great resource for students, but also for advisors and other people who work at community colleges so that they can gain an understanding of what it is that community college students need. And there's an article by Arthur Sanding, Educating the Whole Student, that I really love because I believe that as an advisor, you still have a responsibility to educate the whole student. Even if you're not working in student life or working in residence life, you still have an obligation to talk to those students about how those things are going, making sure that they're successful in those things as well, because those can have a significant impact on their, their education and their academics. Um, so that's one of my favorite articles. Um, and then anything on self-authorship. I don't have anything particular, but I'm a big believer in talking to students about self-authorship um, and helping them to understand who they are and why their education is important and what they can do at the community college to be successful based on who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a personal fan of uh, self-authorship as well, so I, yeah. I appreciate that shout out. We'll definitely uh, <laughs> include all this stuff in the show notes so folks can check it out. Um and uh, just as uh, as we always do, um, wrap things up with just any final thoughts you have, just sort of bring everything together here at the end. Yeah, um, I'd say first, if you're considering doing advising or if you are a new advisor, don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, that's the thing I learned when I started advising was like I had a lot of questions about, you know, what, what kind of classes really make sense or whether or not a class transfers or what a student's next step should be and the more questions you ask the better advisor you're going to be um, so use your colleagues and use your resources and then if you don't understand kind of what kind of program a student is leaning towards 
not only like admit to them, like I have never heard of that program. And so we're going to look it up together (laughs) so I can understand better, but also ask them to explain it to you because sometimes they can explain something in a way that a website can't. Um, And then the other thing, and I talked about this a little bit, get to know your students. I see approximately 2000 students a year. And so sometimes that means I see one student a couple of times, but often that means I only see those students once. And so even if I take an extra minute to get to know them, not only does that help me to feel like I had a really great conversation with a student today, but also it helps them to feel like they're not just a number. They're not just one of 2000. So get to know your students, take the, take the extra minute to kind of ask them how their life is going ask them about their t-shirt or whatever. I mean, we do that as student affairs professionals pretty generally, but (laughs) you know, it's always a good reminder, especially for academic advisors who sometimes can get, at least I can get bogged down in like making sure they have all all the right classes to graduate. Um, But it's also good to just get to know them a little bit. Yeah. 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 Cause I can, I can understand that where you have to uh, do a lot of sort of just like checking off boxes sort of thing as a, you know, advisor and just like with people, you know, their classes and requirements and stuff. So definitely good advice to uh, make it more than that, get to know the students and yeah, just ask questions. It's always, it's always good advice for everybody. Um, Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's all we got. Melissa, I appreciate you uh, hanging out for this episode. It was really good stuff. And uh, yeah, just appreciate you taking out the time. Yeah. Thank you. I had a great time talking about it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please leave us ratings and reviews in the iTunes store. It really helps us out. Helps the podcast reach a wider audience. Helps more people hear about it and know what we're doing. And all the great stuff we talk about every single week. So really appreciate it if you can click on over to the iTunes store and leave us some ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it.